Last week we looked into Psalm 119 in preparation for our coming evangelistic and revival services to help us understand what revival is all about and the fact that we don't need it once every five years, we need it every day. And we found that we need revival because of our propensity to transgression, the pressure of temptation, and the pain of aggression. Uh, even though we're saved, we still have to deal with the old sinful nature. And we're going to face daily battles with temptation and the trials of life. The devil seeks to move us out of the will of God to serve ourselves rather than the Lord. And he's going to tempt us sorely to accomplish that goal. However, God allows trials in our life to test us, even at the same time the devil is trying to tempt us. And through his spirit, we're able to overcome and maintain revival on a daily basis. Then, of course, we all face the pain of, uh, of affliction. And there are times when the cares of life and adverse circumstances or other issues can get us down and we need to cry out to the Lord for revival. And our focus was really on our relationship with the Lord and our constant need to experience his best for us. So today we're going to kind of shift our focus from ourselves to others. When a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they're right with the Lord, they're walking with the Lord, they're conscientious about uh, the Lord Jesus and what he wants them to become. And they will develop Christ-like character. And one of the qualities of that character is compassion. A growing desire and capacity to see and help other people in their needs. And we're going to survey this morning the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, who showed compassion to the poor and the needy, alleviated their needs, and also showed compassion to those who were not saved. And as Christ showed this type of compassion, then of course we as his people should show it as well. We should see others the way that Jesus did and act toward them as he did. So this is all a reminder to us of what he was like and what his disciples ought to be like as well. And of course, a major application uh, relates to our upcoming meetings next week. Do we care enough about uh, those meetings and what God can do in them to invite our friends and our relatives and our neighbors to come If we possess the compassion of Christ, then we will seek others to come and hear about him. So as we look into the word of God today, let's ask his blessing upon it. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful again for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the perfect man. And we're thankful, Lord, that he shows us the way that we are to live as we put our faith and trust in him. Lord, we know that we are not capable of any kind of change. Uh, We're not capable of dealing with the issues of, of sin and temptation and affliction as we saw last time from your word. So we need uh, your revival each day. We need your word and your spirit. But Lord, also we need to develop the character of Christ. And as we look at that one 
characteristic today, that of compassion. Give us, Lord, the compassion of Christ for others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing I want to do this morning is show you Christ's compassion upon needy souls. And the main thought here is that when people called upon the Lord Jesus, he responded to them with compassion. And when people call upon us in some way to help them, we should respond in the same way, with compassion. So let's take a look here, uh, first of all, at some of the words that are used in the New Testament to convey this characteristic, as Jesus was often called upon to show compassion. Now, there are two words in our New Testament to demonstrate this. One of them is consistently used by people who, when in contact with Jesus, called upon them or called upon him to show mercy or compassion. And that particular term means to have compassion or pity or mercy upon a person which expresses itself in action. Now the noun form, according to Thayer's Greek-English lexicon, means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. So you see, it's not just merely feeling sorry for someone who is in a state of some kind of need or affliction. It means doing something to alleviate that condition. And this, of course, is the kind of compassion that Jesus had for people and their problems. And when they came to him and they called upon him for mercy, he answered that by meeting whatever the need was. Now I want to show you three examples from the Gospels where people called upon the Lord for mercy. Let's start off in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, we have a story, and incidentally, when we use the term story about the Bible, it is a true story, okay? It's not somebody making something up like a fairy tale. Chapter 9, verse 27. Now, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. There's our term compassion have compassion on us and when he had come into the house the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them do you believe that I'm able to do this and they said to him yes Lord then he touched their eyes saying according to your faith let it be to you and their eyes were opened all right so here we have two blind men now imagine if you were blind We don't know if they became that way or they were born that way, but they're blind. They have heard about the Lord Jesus. They have heard about the miracles he performed. And so when he comes and they realize it, they cry out to him, Lord, have compassion on us, have mercy on us. And Jesus hears them. In this situation, he asks them if they believe he can do it. They respond in faith, yes, we do. And he heals them. So it's an indication 
that when people call upon him, he responds in kindness and compassion. And this also was an indication that he is the son of David, that he is the Messiah. Now flip over, if you will, to Luke's gospel, chapter 17. Here we have a different situation, a different kind of need. Something that uh, uh, we're not totally familiar with, but we find it in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers. And they stood afar off. Now if you had this skin disease of leprosy, you were um, banned from society. You couldn't interact with people who did not have that disease. So they stood far off. They too must have heard about Jesus because in verse 13 they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now why did they have to go to the priest? Well, you had to go to the priest for him to examine you and declare that you were cleansed from your leprosy so you could re-enter society, which would be a great thing for these people. And Jesus, knowing what he was going to do, told them to do this. They obeyed in faith, and as they were going, their skin condition totally clears, uh, clears up. So again, he responds to them, to their faith, to their uh, crying out to him for compassion, and they're healed. Now, back to uh, Matthew 15. And we have one other occasion we want to show you where this particular term is used as people cry out to Jesus for needs to be met. And this is a little bit different because on a few occasions, Jesus even demonstrated this compassion on people who were outside Israel. They were not Israelites. Verse 21, Matthew 15, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So now we have someone under the control of an evil spirit, a demon. And at first we see, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. In other words, she's bugging us. Make her go away. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw them to the little dogs. This still does not discourage her. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as, uh, to you as you desired. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So from a distance, he casts out a demon. And this whole scenario is really a test of her faith, which he ends up saying is great. So she's calling out. She's not even a member of Israel. And the Lord hears her and eventually uh, answers her cry. So each of these situations, a person or persons, came to Jesus with a malady that was beyond man to alleviate. There was no cure for blindness or leprosy, and there was no power but God's 
to release someone from the, the demonic power. And these people could only call upon someone whom they perceived to have such power to show them mercy, to show them compassion. And in each instance, Jesus complied. He was recognized by others as a man of great compassion, willing to help those in need. Now, this conveys to us two thoughts for application. First of all, if we're in Christ, we can call upon him to extend his mercy to us whenever we have a need. Whether that need is physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, And when we cry out to the Lord to show mercy or compassion, he will help us. But also, there are going to be times when somebody may call upon you to demonstrate mercy and compassion. Maybe not like these examples here where they come and say, have mercy on me. But uh, this is not restricted just to believers, but anyone who may be in need. Uh, For instance... Uh, I receive, you probably do too, weekly solicitations in the mail asking me to give to different causes. And if that cause is deemed worthy by you and it promotes truth and righteousness out there in the world or it it helps uh, with healing or something of that nature as far as, you know, physical maladies, we may donate to it. And sometimes we may detect someone has a need. We should be willing to help that person according to our uh, ability and, and resources. Showing compassion may eventually help someone come to Christ, even though the initial demonstration of it was of a material nature. So we need to have this kind of response when others come to us or we see them in their need. Now, furthermore here, let's take a look as we find that Jesus was motivated internally by compassion in his ministry. We've seen other people calling upon him to exercise it, but we see he's moved with compassion on a number of occasions. Now, this particular word, uh, often translated uh, moved by compassion, is specifically used to express the emotional sensitivity of Christ to people's needs. So to him, helping people was not you know, an obligation, not a duty. It was a deep-seated desire. Now, the word literally alludes to yearning of the bowels, the inner organs of the body. And of course, Anciently, it was once thought that the bowels were the intercenter of deep and powerful emotions. And again, we can understand why they thought this way, because uh, when something happens to you that makes you feel fearful, it's inside. Or joyful. Uh, uh, Our emotions are within us, And so we understand what it means here when you're hit with a pang of of pity or sympathy. And Christ's deep-seated compassion was the motivation for a number of his miracles. So I want to take you through and show you some of these uh, because they mentioned 
that he showed compassion or that he was filled with compassion. Now, in Matthew 14, uh, we're not going to uh, turn to all of these, but in Matthew 14 and also Mark 6.34, we have the feeding of the 5,000. You, uh, you are familiar with these uh, narratives. And in both of those passages, we are told that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. The same thing is said in Matthew 15 and Mark 8 at the feeding of the 4,000, which was a different occasion. There, Jesus himself said, I have compassion on the multitude. So in both of these situations, as the people were with him for a lengthy period of time, three days is mentioned in one of these, if they had brought some food with them, it would have probably been gone the first day. But they wanted to hear him so badly, they just kept following him wherever he went. And he recognized this need. He doesn't want them to be hungry. And so uh, he's moved with compassion and he does something about it. And he miraculously feeds this large group of people on both occasions. Now, let's turn over to Matthew 20. And here we have another incident of uh, blind men. But in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now the multitude uh, tells them to be quiet. But Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? In verse 32, they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So these instances show us Jesus had compassion. He wasn't being just called upon to show it. These demonstrate that he indeed did have it within him. Now in Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 41, there's the story of the healing of another leper. This was, I believe, a single individual. And when this occasion came... Jesus was moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and he healed the man. Everybody else would be fearful to touch him unless they contracted the disease. Jesus reached out and that touch healed him. And it was a demonstration of his compassion. It mentions that he was moved with compassion. Now let's turn over to Mark 5.19. Mark 5 and verse 19. Now, this is, uh, Jesus is in the, um, the land of Gadara across Jordan. And you'll remember there that he came into contact with a man who was demon-possessed. And we're told here that he, uh, he healed him, he cast out the demon. In verse 18, uh, Jesus gets into the boat. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. He wants to go with Jesus and be his disciple. But Jesus denies that request. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion 
on you. And he went home and he started telling everybody about Jesus' compassion and how he cast out that demon. So again, Jesus is associated with uh, perfect compassion. All right. Then we also find in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, the greatest of all these miracles. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. You notice every time you see Jesus, you see a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now that that should stir your compassion, shouldn't it? And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. And, of course, fear came upon all of them when they saw that happen. So here is Jesus capable of raising someone from the dead, but what inspired that was his compassion for the living and the, uh, the, the sorrow of the widow. So in all these situations, uh, the Lord Jesus is moved with compassion to do good works. Now, although these were all on a material level, we cannot ignore the truth or the fact that they had deeper spiritual implications associated with his uh, uh, compassion as well. For instance, the miraculous feedings. What do they demonstrate? Well, they demonstrate the need for us to have spiritual life and spiritual sustenance. In John's gospel, Jesus taught from that incident that he was what? The bread of life. We've been preaching on this uh, for our communion Sundays. And he came down from heaven, and all who would partake of that bread of life in faith, they would have spiritual life. Blindness is an indication of our spiritual blindness. We can't see the truth. We can't come to the truth without God's aid. He has to open our eyes. And so we find, again, Jesus is the light of the world that illuminates the lost. He helps them to see their spiritual condition, and he brings to them the light of life. Leprosy. That portrayed the uncleanness and the defilement of sin. Affects the whole body. And it separates us from God, even as a leper was separated from society. And only the Lord Jesus can heal the defilement of sin by granting to us forgiveness if we put our faith and trust in him. Casting out of demons portrays his power over the realm of Satan who attempts to keep people shackled in their sins all their life. Christ is able to set us free from sin's penalty and power and the tempting power of Satan. And then raising someone from the dead 
Well, that was an indication of Christ's power over death itself and the grave and hell. And it was a prequel to his own resurrection. So the Lord Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So Christ's demonstration of compassion teaches us that we too should be motivated by compassion in ministry. Now we uh, cannot perform the miracles that Jesus did, but we can point people to the one who is the bread of life, who is the light of the world, who is the resurrection and the life. And that then leads us to this final thought I want to bring to you, and that's Christ's compassion for lost souls. And we find this in Matthew chapter 9. So let's turn there and look at that situation. Here again, we see him demonstrating this characteristic of compassion. In Matthew 9, verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Right? We've seen a number of examples of, of his compassionate ministry to help people with physical and emotional and spiritual needs. Now we're coming uh, more to the idea of reaching people uh, for salvation. And verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So here we have the broader picture. Wherever he went, he saw multitudes. Crowds were with him. And whenever he saw them, he was moved with compassion. And then he said, verse 37, to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, Let's analyze this a little bit here. First of all, we see that he was moved with compassion because of the condition of those people. And we're told that when Jesus saw saw the multitudes, whenever this happened, he was moved with compassion. Now, what does that indicate? That indicates to us that our Lord never just saw a great big crowd. But he saw the people, the individuals in the crowd. He did not observe mobs of people flocking to him and saying, man, what a great opportunity I have here to preach the gospel. And I hope, uh, I hope we have like uh, 5,000 people come and I can mark that down in my book and say how great an evangelist I am. No, he saw the people themselves and their need and Uh, That's the way we need to view people. He looked upon them and his compassion was evoked for them as people, as persons, as individuals. And really all of us at some point in our life, at least I hope so, have been touched this way about someone. Someone uh, we we see uh, uh, we're saddened by a tragic event that's come into their life. 
Or we feel sorry for someone who's suffering affliction in some way. Or we take pity upon someone who's less fortunate than we are. And on occasion we might try to help them, which we should do. But the Lord's compassion was struck by the spiritual condition of those people. He didn't just feel sorry for them. He wanted to do something to change their condition. And that's why he came into the world. To save them and us. So, what did he see that moved him to compassion? We're told here that he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. That's how he looked at them. Now, the term weary there, or faint, doesn't really give us the full nuance of meaning. It actually means they were harassed or distressed to the point of weariness. It could refer to being bullied or oppressed by someone or something. And we know that historically the people of Israel at this time were harassed by the Roman government, but even more so... They were harassed by their own religious leaders. And Jesus suggests this when he says, they don't have a shepherd. And here you have the priests and the Levites, they were supposed to be shepherding the people, the Pharisees and the scribes, but they were all out for themselves. So they didn't have anybody to care for their souls. They were helpless, scattered, that's the idea. Of helplessness. They were scattered all over the hillsides of uh, uh, Judea and Galilee. And they were like sheep that are being fleeced and lacerated and bruised and abused because they had no reliable shepherd to lead them and feed them. They were dying from their own waywardness and their own folly and their own stupidity with nobody to turn them to the truth. We're told that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal those who were bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and then to lay down his life for the sheep so that they might be brought into the fold. So he was the good shepherd of the sheep and had compassion on them. His purpose, first to bring them into the fold and then to feed them and care for them. Now, I suggest to you this morning, folks, that until we start seeing people like Jesus did, we're not going to really be all interested in seeing them get saved. We have to have his compassion. The passion of Christ has to be our motive of evangelism. And if we don't have it, and folks, it doesn't come naturally. We can have feelings of pity, but this kind is, uh, is uh, from the Lord. And we have to plead with the Lord to give it to us. We must constantly ask him for the eyes of Christ so that we can see lost people the way that he saw them. So that's the first thing that we see there. We need to be like Christ in viewing uh, lost people in the world. Then Jesus recognized the source of the problem in reaching people. And here we find that he kind of 
shifts the metaphor a little bit and uses farming terminology. He's talking about a harvest. Now he sees these people as a great harvest, ready to be brought in. But there's a problem. Now what's the problem? He says the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, what's the problem? You know what we say all the time? The harvest is the problem. But the problem is not with the harvest, not what Jesus says. Jesus says the harvest is plenteous. The fruits are already there to be picked. The problem is with the laborers. The laborers are few. We have the same problem every year in New York, don't we? When the apples need to be picked and the great farmers are, are in need of laborers to get in the crop and they don't have enough people to help them get the crop in on time. And I'm afraid that we, we see this just the opposite of the way that Jesus did because we complain there isn't a harvest. The area in which we live is too hard. People don't want to hear the gospel. People are not going to respond to the gospel. Or, or if we go out there, we're going to get persecuted and we're going to be poorly treated. Our attitude is there's a problem with the harvest. And so we contradict Christ's words. The real problem is that we don't labor. We don't work to bring in the fruit. We have all kinds of excuses why we can't be involved in this kind of work. So let's at least be honest and recognize that what Jesus is saying is true. The problem is with the harv- not with the harvest, but with the laborers, with us, the ones who are supposed to be laboring to bring it in. But the Lord not only perceived the problem, he gave us the solution. Herein lies the method of evangelism. It's twofold. And this is what Jesus says in verse 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we we need to pray. We simply need to pray that the Lord will send out more laborers, not just to foreign countries and foreign fields but in our own country not just missionaries but but folks in our own backyard and we need to start praying that the lord will raise up the laborers for the harvest that's right here at home and this indicates to us that we do realize that that god is the lord he's the sovereign he's the authority over the harvest but he has people Uh, that he uses to bring folks into his fold. So we need to pray for more laborers. And how much time do we actually do that? Praying for souls to be saved because there are people out there doing that work. Praying for Christian colleges and institutes to train up workers. Praying the Lord will call many to the mission field and and pastorates and and, uh, evangelists. And if we want to see a harvest, then we need to pray for more reapers. But that's not all. That's not where it ends. That's probably where we wish it would end, but that's not where it ends. Because if we go on and we start reading chapter 10, what's the next stage? Go out and be a part of the reaping process. 
In verse 5 of chapter 10, these 12 that he just told to pray for uh, the Lord to send out reapers, they get sent out. So we don't just pray, we also go. That's implied in the whole next chapter, as well as Luke chapter uh, 10, where the 70 are sent out, and Jesus, after he tells them to pray, he says, go your ways. And if you look at the last words recorded of Jesus in all four Gospels, and then Acts chapter 1, when he goes back up into heaven, what is his final message? In each one of those instances, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Be a laborer. Now, folks, if he meant just for the 12 apostles to do that, we wouldn't be here today. If he meant just those men to go, the church would have died out in century number two. If we have the compassion of Christ, we're going to pray... And we're going to go. I find the comment of G. Campbell Morgan interesting. He says, we see in this, in this verse that we've been looking at, we see man's need met by God in the passion of Christ and God's need met by man in the commission of Christ. So are we a part of the problem today or are we a part of the solution Not only should we be praying for fellow workers coming to our meetings next week and people going out and evangelizing all over the world, but we ought to be uh, involved ourselves, inviting people to come to these meetings, but also thinking of ways at work or school or whatever we are to be a witness of Christ to other people. And obviously our involvement in reaching sheep without a shepherd is not just one week out of the year or five or however many times you have an evangelistic service. It's a day-to-day effort. Are you praying? Are you going? Do you have the compassion of Christ for people? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful again today for your word. How it shows us Jesus' response to those who cried out to him to show mercy and compassion. How it shows us that he was motivated by compassion in his ministry as he healed people and as he taught them. And as he looked on the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd. Lord, we're thankful that he was the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep so that he could bring them into the fold. And that one day he brought us into that fold. The Lord help us now to develop the compassion of Christ in our own lives to the point where we will not only pray for workers, laborers in the harvest, but we will be involved in it as much as we can. Trusting in you, depending on you to give us the courage and the strength to do it. We just pray, Lord, you'll impact our hearts with these thoughts this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.